0: This time, we're going to dismiss our children at Children's Church, so if you have little kids who are pre-K through third grade, they can meet in the back. Well, we are in our second week of a sermon series that we're simply calling Pray. We are learning how to pray and thinking about the power of prayer by looking at some of the most famous prayers in the Bible. Now, in saying that, I am acutely aware that you have been praying for me, and so I want to thank you for praying for me. Uh, I was hit with COVID, and so I was out last week, and Dave did a great job of pinch-hitting for me. I think we should give him a round of applause. Uh, his role as an assistant pastor is kind of like being uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, coming in, out of the bullpen, usually with very little notice. Uh, so I called him on Wednesday, and I said, I think I got the bug, my friend, and uh, He preached a great sermon from Ephesians last week. I watched online with you, and I'm so grateful for our tech team and all the work they do to make it possible to stream these services. We have a number of folks who are home this week with COVID. I think it's kind of running through us, so uh, keep that in mind to pray for your church members and your friends, brothers, and sisters who are sick this week. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope for your quick return. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Genesis 32, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 32, the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Now, that same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had— What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh." This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord, our God, we simply ask that you would speak to us through your word, for we, your servants, listen. Hear our prayer. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen. This is my Grandpa Trike. My Grandpa Trike died when he was 101 years old. And when he died, I had the privilege of preaching at his funeral. He loved Jesus, he loved his family, and he loved the church. He loved marbles and professional wrestling and 7-Up in tall green glass bottles. He was a man of prayer. Every night he would pray, in German, for every single member of his family. He lived his whole life in what Pastor Ian Duguid called the grip of God's relentless grace. Like Jacob, he had been grasped by the mercies of God And he would not let go of his savior. This is Vern Gagné. Vern Gagné was my Grandpa Trike's favorite professional wrestler. When I was a kid, the two of us would sit on the couch, which he, for reasons unclear to me, called the Davenport and we would watch Vern Gagne do battle with the likes of Dick the Bruiser, Nick Bockwinkle, Mad Dog Bashan, and the evil Nikolai Volkov. A man who had the temerity to sing the Soviet national anthem in the middle of the ring before all of his matches. Hate is a strong word. We hated Nikolai Volkov. Together we would cheer the baby faces and boo the heels. And I would say, Grandpa, is this real? Are they really wrestling? And he would look over to me with a gleam in his eye as if to say, does it really matter? it didn't one of the things i loved about watching wrestling with my grandpa is that there were always clear good guys and bad guys moral ambiguity did not exist in vern gagne's awa there were clear good guys and clear bad guys and while the bad guys won a few battles along the way the good guys always won the war. That's the way things work in professional wrestling. Do they work that way in real life? Do the good guys always win? What happens when you can't clearly distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys? What happens when you can't solve your problems in a ring with arm bars and suplexes and body slams? What happens when your opponent isn't a flesh-and-blood opponent? What happens when your opponent is you? What happens when you find yourself wrestling with selfishness? What happens when you find yourself wrestling with lust? What happens when you find yourself wrestling with guilt and shame and regret? What happens when you find yourself wrestling with God? Is that a battle that you can win? Is that a battle that you can avoid? These are some of the questions we're going to ask this morning as we look at the most famous wrestling match in the Bible, God versus Jacob. Jacob versus God in a no-holds-barred submission match, a match that would change the course of human history, a match that teaches us how to pray. In many ways, it has all the ingredients of a classic main event. There's a baby face, Yahweh, the promise-making, promise-keeping God of Israel. There's a heel, Jacob, the deceiver, the dirtiest player in the game. There's struggle, there's submission, and in the end, almost inexplicably, The man who loses the match finds himself standing with his arms raised in the center of the ring. In the end, Jacob won by losing. So do we. For Jacob, the way down was the way up. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And why is it so hard to hold on to the God who never lets us go? Let's take a closer look. Scene one, the crisis. Now often we pray in response to a crisis. We pray because something is wrong. We pray because we desperately need God's help. And that's certainly the case in this story. Verse 22. That same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. Now, usually, the difference between a good wrestling match. And a bad wrestling match is the backstory. There has to be some history. There has to be a feud. There has to be tension and build-up. If there's no backstory, well then it's just two random people fighting, and no one really cares. Here's the backstory: Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was born first, and Jacob was born second mere moments after his twin brother. Now, as the firstborn, not only was Esau entitled to the lion's share of his father's estate, he was also his father Isaac's favorite son. They both liked to hunt. They both liked to fish. They both liked the taste of wild game. Esau, like Isaac, was a rugged man's man. Isaac loved him. He was the favored son. Now, Jacob, he was a little bit more like his mom. Jacob liked reading books. Jacob liked cats. He carried an NPR tote bag. He drove a Mini Cooper. He and his dad never really got along. Now, a quick aside. How many of you have that kind of dynamic in your family? How many of you grew up in a household where there was a clear, favored child among all the children? Anyone? Now, I can tell which one of you were the favorite children and which were not because All the not-favorite children are looking at somebody else, and all the favorite children are just looking straight ahead as if they have no idea what I'm talking about, right? You turn 16, you got a brand new car, your brothers and sisters all took the bus, Uh, your mom and dad saved all of your baby pictures in albums and wall art, and you, the rest of you, uh, your mom lost the pictures when she got a new phone. Uh, she's just like, I don't know, take it. Whatever's on there, just erase the disc, right? There's a, now, we can laugh about it, I hope, but that kind of favoritism can be really toxic in a family. That situation where there is one favored child above all the other children can really poison family dynamics putting pitting one sibling against the other sibling in a knockdown drag out fight to win the love of parents that's exactly what happened in Isaac's family from the moment Jacob and Esau were born they were wrestling against each other fighting for their father's love Jacob came out of the womb, grasping his brother's heel. And in many ways, he never really stopped. He would have done anything to hear his father say, I love you. I approve of you. I enjoy your company. But Isaac couldn't or wouldn't say those words. At one point, Jacob even went so far as to dress up like his brother in order to trick their father into blessing him. Even though he must have known deep in his heart that the blessing was not intended for him, he wanted so desperately to receive his father's love that he would do anything to hear those words of blessing Now, when Esau found out about Jacob's deception, he became enraged. So enraged that he vowed to kill Jacob. Jacob was forced to flee to his uncle Laban's house, 550 miles away in the land of Haran. And that's where he stayed for the next 20 years of his life. In the land of Haran, Jacob got married twice. He had 11 children. He amassed a small fortune, but there was always something missing. There was always something deep in his heart that remained unsettled. And so, he never really stopped wrestling with memories of his father, with memories of his brother, With the realities of his God. And now, here we are, Genesis 32, and Jacob is back home. He thought to himself, this is the place where I will find my blessing. This is the place where I will find my peace. But that dream of peace was short-lived as he received the disturbing news that his brother Esau was coming to meet him, accompanied by 400 men the exact size of a private army in the ancient world. Jacob was in deep trouble. He was outnumbered, outgunned, outmatched, boxed in, and so he sent his family away across the river with all of his possessions so that he could spend one night preparing for what he believed would be the fight of his life. Now, in a twist, it turns out that he was preparing for the wrong fight. He thought his fight was against Esau, but his real fight was with God. The one thing that he wanted wasn't the one thing he needed. He wanted his father's blessing... He needed to see the face of God. Now, how often do we make the same mistake that Jacob made? All of us, on some level, are searching for the blessing, we want affirmation from people that we affirm. We want love from people that we love. We want respect from people that we respect. The world says, well, the answer is self-esteem. Just love yourself and respect yourself and honor yourself and tell yourself how great you are. Jacob discovered that life doesn't work that way. We need someone else to bless us. We need someone else to say to us, I saw your performance last night, and you were great. You can really sing. You can really dance. You can really act amazing. And that triple you hit in the big game last night, man, that was incredible. You just wheeled around second. I saw you going in, and I believed in you. You can do this. Are you losing weight because those jeans look great on you? That was a great sermon, Pastor Joel. Changed my life. I'm coming back next week with 50 of my closest friends. (laughs) Those are the blessings. When we hear those things, we stand a little bit taller and we smile a little bit brighter. Because what we're hearing is you matter. Your life matters. You have value and worth and importance. It's not wrong to want that. We were made in the image of God. We were made for the blessing. We were made for affirmation. We were made for love. The problem is that we're also a lot like Jacob in the fact that we tend to look for love in all the wrong places. We want our parents to give us the love that we so desperately need. We want our husband or our wife to give us this unconditional love that will tell us that we matter, that we have worth. We want that from our kids. We want that from our dogs and our cats. We want people who work with us to give us the blessing and when we don't receive it our lives fall apart just like Jacob's life fell apart here's the problem only God can give us the blessing only God can give us the love that we need only God can change our name See, Jacob didn't know that yet at the beginning of the story but he was about to find out scene 2 the conflict prayer is often a struggle a conflict between who we were apart from Christ and who we are in Christ prayer is a struggle to hold on to a God that seemingly slips from our fingers verse 24 jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day now this is such a strange scene on a number of levels that we'll have to unpack it a little bit the first question that i had when i read this is how do we know at first That Jacob is actually wrestling with God. It just says a man came to wrestle with him. So who is that man? Well, the first clue about the identity of this mystery man comes in verse 25, where we read that Jacob and this mysterious man wrestled all night long, and somehow it was a draw. It was a stalemate. Neither one had overcome the other. Then all of a sudden, this mysterious man touches Jacob's hip, just, just taps the socket of his hip, and his hip is dislocated. There are some commentators that suggest that the Hebrew indicates that his hip shattered. Just a tiny tap, and his hip was obliterated like glass. Now, that's not normal clearly, the man that he was wrestling with had supernatural strength. Now, the second clue is a little bit more subtle. In verse 26, we're told that the man said, the sun is coming up, you have to let me go. Now, why? Why would he say that? Why would he insist that Jacob must let him go, that that Jacob could not see this man's face in the daylight? Well, many of you are reading the Bible with us as a church. This very week, we are reading in the book of Exodus that no man may see the Lord's face and live. So who's, who is this man who cannot be seen in the daytime? It's the face of God. He's too glorious. He's too Powerful. He's too amazing. If Jacob sees this man's face, face to face in the daytime, the weight of God's glory will crush him. God's glory melts faces. Like uh, Indiana Jones, when those Nazis open up the thing and they, their face melted off, that is the glory of God. Jacob was wrestling with the Creator of the universe. Now, second question is, why would God wrestle with Jacob? Given the fact that he's undergone all these, this pain and heartache for so much of his life, why didn't God just show up and give him a hug? And not like a, like a wrestling bear hug, like a, like a soft hug, a side hug. Why didn't he just encourage him and say, listen, Jacob, don't you know that uh, everything is going to work out in the end? Don't you know that all things work together for good to people who love God or call according to his purpose? Don't you know that God will never give you, you know, more than you can bear? You know, okay, yeah, there's like 400 maniacs coming to kill you, but I'm sure that'll all work out, and, uh, you know, maybe they'll just go home. Is that what he said? No. I think God wrestled with Jacob because he didn't come to comfort him, Nor did he come to assure him. He came to change him. And this fight was the only way. Change happens when we have a violent encounter with God. Does that seem strange to you? This week I was reading the memoir of Rosaria Butterfield, and she talks about her conversion. She said her conversion was like a train wreck. It was like a car crash, not pleasant at all. She was living her life. She was happy. She was content. And then God showed up and, like in this story, tapped her hip. And she was wounded in order to be healed. Change happens when we rise again, but first, we have to die You'll never grow until God brings you to the end of yourself. You'll never change until you submit to God and say, not my will, but yours be done. In this world and in my life. Now that's, that is painful sometimes. It's painful most of the time. Praying people have scars Jesus did. Praying people walk with a limp. Jacob did. But remember, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ, if you have put your life in his hands, if you say, you are my hope, you are my salvation, then the death that we experience always leads to resurrection. For we are in christ we are united to him in a death like his so that we might be united to him in a resurrection like his in other words limping leads to leaping that's where we're going next scene three the blessing God looks at Jacob and says, What is your name? He replies with a simple one word answer Jacob. Now, why would God ask Jacob that question? Didn't he know Jacob's name? Well, the answer is of course he did. He's God, he knows everything. So, why make a point of saying Jacob? What is your name? The answer is, he wanted Jacob to confront his past by confessing his sin. The name Jacob means deceiver or usurper. Jacob means liar. In the course of this story, the name Jacob means the unloved son the son who never measured up, the son who was never quite enough in the eyes of his father. Verse 28. Then God said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God changed Jacob's name he gave him a new life he gave him a new identity that happened when he wrestled with God in prayer prayer disorients us and then reorients us to the way of Christ who died and then rose again here is the good news jesus the god who renamed jacob can change your name too he can give you a new name he can give you a new identity he can give you a new calling he can give you a new purpose he can give you a new way of being in this world the same holy spirit who raised jesus from the dead can and will raise you from the dead Now, in this story, God inflicted a gentle wound on his adopted son, not to kill him, but to make him stronger. God wounded him in order to heal him. Now, the good news for us, thousands of years later, reading this story, is that we have an even better Jacob. An even better spiritual father. The father of a greater nation than the nation of Israel. The father of the church. And because we do, we have an even greater salvation than Jacob had in this story. The first Jacob was a liar. Our Jacob is the truth. The first Jacob wrestled with God in order to get the blessing for himself. Our Jacob wrestled with God in order to secure the blessing for us. The first Jacob was wounded for his own transgressions. Our Jacob was wounded for our transgressions. So, how do we receive God's blessings? How do we take hold of Jesus, our Savior? We wrestle with God in prayer. We submit to God saying, I love you and I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you resurrect me. Until you bring me from death to life, from sorrow to joy. And God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, hears our prayers of desperation, honors our grip as we hold on to him for all that we are worth. He blesses us. And then he changes our name. God says to us in Jesus, you mean the world to me. And the proof is, I lost the world for you. That is the gospel. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the resurrection. When we pray, we enter into that story of the gospel. In prayer, we suffer a kind of death. In a sense, Jacob the deceiver died that night wrestling with God. But then God raises us up to new life. He gave Jacob and all of us a new name. Let me encourage you to wrestle with God in prayer. To hold fast to the God of your salvation, the God of glory, the God of love, the God of joy. He will wound you you will walk with a limp all of god's people walk with a limp but you will know the power of god in amazing fresh exciting ways as he envelops you in his love let's go to god in prayer oh lord our god We thank you for your grace to us, which is greater than words could possibly express. I thank you, Lord God, for grabbing hold of us and never letting go. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to grab hold of you. And may we never let go. Lord, we thank you for our great promise that we have in Christ of a new name, a new identity, a new purpose. Oh, Lord God, we pray that you would make us new as we pray. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.